This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, we welcome our guest, Winifred Winston. Winifred is a parent, founder of Dyslexia Advocation, and the co-host of the Black and Dyslexic podcast. During our conversation today, we will discuss her story of how she became an advocate for her daughter who was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD as it relates to inclusive education and how it led her to create Dyslexia Advocation, a nonprofit whose mission is to equip parents of children with dyslexia and other language-based learning disabilities with the necessary tools to help their child become successful readers. to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Aston, and I am joined today by my guest, Winifred Winston, and I am happy and grateful uh, to have you on the uh, podcast today. So thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Arthur. This yeah. is great. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm really excited too. So um, I, I've, of course, I've, I've read up about you and, and preparing for this and I saw um, on one of your social media sites, it's, uh, gave, you gave a description of yourself. It says you educate, empower, and equip parents of children with learning differences like dyslexia. And you're also the host of the Black and Dyslexic podcast. Yes. Yes. So um, I would love for you to share anything else about yourself that you would like for us to know. Well, that, you know, the first thing is, yes, I'm a mom. And um, uh, I'm a mom of a, a child who struggled to learn how to read. And having also worked in education, I thought I would know how to help her, right? I have friends that were educators. I was able to call folks and say, hey, can you look over this IEP for me? You know, and I thought like, okay, we'll be fine. I'll figure this out. But that wasn't the case. And so I found myself feeling helpless, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, like I can't help my daughter. Like I'm not, like, I'm not doing something right, you know? So um, first being a parent advocate and really immersing myself in this space, because what I learned is that we were so far from getting her the right help and, um, and being in the, the space of special education and, and uh, literacy and dyslexia, it was a very white space. And I found myself um, helping other parents and also navigating and, and getting help for my daughter, but there wasn't a space for black and brown people to feel comfortable. And, and folks would um, hit me up, I call it on the back end, right? Like they would come to meetings, but then they would reach out to me separately. And so I kept, you know, feeling like I need to do more because now I'm in this space, I'm immersed in this space. And then that just led to me, you know, starting a nonprofit dyslexia advocation where we do want to educate, empower and equip parents. And we focus on trying to reach more black and brown parents. Um, because of uh, the education, you've got to educate yourself on the special education system, your child, right? And then uh, dyslexia and what that means and also reading and literacy. There's a lot of education that's involved. And once we're 
um, educated, we can feel empowered, you know, empowered to advocate for our child, empowered to ask for what we need and feel okay in doing that. A lot of times black parents get pegged as the angry black parent, you know, and then equipping them with the tools, right? Because there's so much out there and there are so many people who will try and take advantage of you because you don't know what you don't know. So now you're equipped with all of this information and you can successfully advocate for your child who is struggling to read. So I was just so passionate and find, trying to find my lane, right? And trying to find, um, and really, you know, after the George Floyd incident, trying to really carve out a lane that I knew I needed to be in, but being okay being in that lane, right? And, and, and not feeling like, um, I'm, I'm doing too much. I'm being too extra when I tell you, no, I want to reach more black and brown families because we know that um, black and brown children are underdiagnosed correctly, right? And overdiagnosed incorrectly, right? And, and so I really wanted to, to tackle that and just be courageous in my efforts and not be apologetic about it. Um, so I also, you know, like you said, me and Lederic, we host the Black and Dyslexic podcast and that was an effort to our, our dyslexia awareness campaign. That was an effort to remove the stigma about learning disabilities in the black and brown community. You know, have guests on who can share their lived experiences. Um, I'm so proud of our badass parent segment. Um, I had to sell a lot of people on that. I'm like, no, it's the badass parent segment. I feel it in my spirit. You know, parents want to share their stories and and so much so that a lot of folks reach out and tell me, I just listen to the badass parent segments because it's the parent's journey that resonate with me, that made me feel okay, that, that made me feel like I'm not alone in this. You know what I mean? And then to have professionals in the space. A lot of folks, a lot of black folks didn't know like a uh, speech and language pathologists, what they actually do. You know, dyslexia is a language-based learning disability. A lot of parents didn't know the difference between what I call a home tutor and then a specialized tutor, right? And not even understanding that, yes, you can get an advocate to help you uh, through the process of, of the IEP, right? And you can have someone at the IEP meeting with you. And so there were all these different things that I didn't know myself. Having been an educator, having had friends in education, I didn't know. So I wanted to bring that to the masses. And so that was our, our passion project, the Black and Dyslexic Podcast. Yeah, that is, um, like I said, I've listened to um, a bunch of episodes of it, and it's it's great. It's, um, I love the conversation of it all. It's just, um, you know, laid back conversation. And, uh, you know, just the two of you and your guests just really being real and, and reaching um, some serious topics and, and important topics and getting to, um, you know, to help people find um, the right avenues and the right way to, um, you know, to better help themselves and their, and their children. Uh, one thing that you, um, that you just said that I would like to talk a little bit more about is the being under and overdiagnosed um, part in the uh, black and brown communities. Can you just share a little bit more about that? Sure. So in doing this work, um, we see that um, more um, dyslexia is thought of as a white wealthy learning disability, right? A lot of when we look at the data, they 
there's data that shows that one in five folks have dyslexia and about 34, I think it's only 34, 35% of uh, children are actually uh, proficient in reading on their grade level in the whole country, right? And when we look at special education and we delve into learning disabilities, we find that a lot of black and brown children, um, the system focuses on behavior and not academics, right? So a kiddo might be diagnosed with ADHD or emotionally disturbed, right? But there's a learning disability. There's an underlying learning disability there. And so much so that in order to navigate this space, um, I became director of admissions of a special education school, right? And so in that role, I'm reviewing reports um, from parents all across the state of Maryland who wanna get into our school. And I'm able to see in these reports how a little black boy's behavior is described. Certain words are used aggressive, we had to redirect, right? And then I look at a report from a white student, same behavior, but different words to describe that behavior, right? And that really was like, I'm like, am I reading this right? Like, wait a minute, I'm seeing it from every angle, you know? And so a lot of um, parents in the black and brown community don't want another label on their child. Right? They don't want another label because there are all these labels, but not really understanding that, hey, we've got to get the right label because they're going to label your child regardless. Right? They're going to label them defiant. They're going to label them, uh, label them um, uncooperative. Right? They're going to place some label, but it won't be the correct label. To a parent who doesn't know anything about this, right? like, oh, my child is struggling, and then the school will say, oh, okay, well, they're not paying attention. They keep, they're not focusing It's ADHD. Even for my daughter, she's dyslexic and ADHD. In my ignorance, when they said ADHD, uh, I thought, oh no, she's, she's black and that's a medical code and they, and, and they just want insurance to pay, right? Because in, in my ignorance, I didn't know what ADHD looked like. I didn't know how it showed up. Now here's the kicker. I had someone that I trusted read over my daughter's report. And, and I said, look at the disparity in my answers and how the teacher answers some of these questions. And she said to me, she said, well, you know, sometimes when the parent exhibits the same behavior, you know, they don't recognize it as an issue, basically. That's what she was saying, right? And I thought to myself, when the parent, you know, afterwards, I said, when the parent has the same, oh, she's trying to say I'm ADHD. Sure enough. Classic ADHD, never knew it, never identified, right? So you think about parents who may exhibit the same behaviors, but have never been identified, never diagnosed and say, oh, well, that's just my, that's just my child. Because I would tell you, oh, that's just my daughter. Her birthday's five days after mine. She has the same energy as me. No, you know, I'm ADHD, but did not know, right? So you, you have so many um, black and brown families who just are not aware then we don't want another label. And then they're incorrectly labeling our children, right? Because so many, like if my daughter, I'm afraid that if she was identified with the ADHD first, we probably would have never gotten a diagnosis of dyslexia or the interventions because they focus on, oh, she's not paying attention. Oh, give her medicine so she'll pay attention. And it, it wouldn't have mattered if, if she's dyslexic and not getting the type of interventions that she needed. So we see that there's a huge disparity in the correct identification. And then there's the over-identification of, of the wrong things, 
So we see that a lot. I definitely um, identify with uh, when you say like, oh, that's just my child. Oh, that's just how they are. And, and mm-hmm. you know, oh, they're, they're fine. And, and uh, so it is important to get the proper uh, diagnosis for. Because a lot of them are hereditary. We also mm-hmm. found out that my daughter's father is dyslexic. And I knew as soon as she was identified, I was like, oh, I was like, he's, he's definitely dyslexic and never identified, never got any help. Um, and so, you know, he, he just thought he wasn't that smart and struggled in college. Right. And, and a lot of parents that I speak to that come back to me later, you know, it may be one parent who's on board with, okay, my child has this identification, this this learning disability, and this is how we're going to get through it. And then that another parent will be like, well, no, don't label my child. And that parent, you know, will confide in me like, he's just like him, you know, like, or uh, he's just like her. And I'm like, yes, it, it's hereditary and it does run in families. And so, um, you know, it's, it's hard for, for some adults to, to look back and say, wait a minute, that's me. Here I am at 40 plus, 35 plus, and that explains why X, Y, and Z, right? And, and I've developed all these coping strategies. Um, some of them were, I thought were positive, but really they're not, you know? And so sometimes it's a lot for a parent to take in all while they're still trying to advocate for their child, right? Because now it's the, the onus is like, well, dang, what do I need to do? Like, wh- what can I do differently? You know, um, so it's a lot, it's a lot to, to take on, but as parents, we're going to do whatever is necessary to help our children. That is absolutely right. I, <laughs> yes, you, uh, as parents, they, you know, they definitely do whatever's necessary to make sure that their child gets, um, you know, what's needed and uh, what is going to be most beneficial and helpful to them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's actually a perfect uh, segue into um uh, I wanted to ask, can you share uh, your story um, about how you uh, started to become an advocate for your daughter and um, what that process was like and, um, you know, all the, the steps that it took? Oh, gosh. To make so, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. So my daughter, um, because I worked in the public school system here in Baltimore City, I'm like, oh, okay, we we not... I'm keeping an eye on our neighborhood school, you know, and I'm like, uh, I don't know if public school is going to be the route for us. So she was at a small private Christian school. And um, I just noticed she wasn't reading. She had no interest in it, right? But at three, her vocabulary was vast. She's using words like, oh, I have to defecate. And she's very inquisitive, asking all these questions. So in uh, pre-K, we had to pull her from the reading, reading group. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, she's catching on. She's remembering all these things, but she wasn't retaining. Right. We were going over sight words, but she wasn't retaining sight words. And we were going over scripture, Bible scripture, and she would remember it. And she would take the quiz and she would ace it. Then the next week, it was like we never went over it. And I just noticed she wasn't retaining and she didn't have any. The, the huge thing is she didn't have any interest. Uh, I have a nephew who's the same age as her and he wrote her a letter. I never forget it like hand wrote her a letter and mailed it. And I'm like, oh my God, you're getting mail. Like, how cool is that? Not email, but you're getting mail. And she just looked at it and was like, oh, mommy, you read it. Like she had no interest. And that just really struck me as odd. And everyone is telling me, oh, she'll catch on. You know, she's my only child, first time mom. Oh, you're being over the top. What are you worried about? She's so smart. Oh, I talk to her all the time. 
right? That's what everyone kept telling me. She's so smart. I talk to her all the time. And I kept thinking, well, yeah, she's so smart. That's why I'm concerned. She's so smart, but she's not reading. And so we uh, ended up leaving uh, the private school and we went to a public charter school and it was arts integration and project-based learning. So the kiddos learn by doing hands-on projects, right? And, and I knew my daughter, that rigid environment that she was in in private school really wasn't for her. And when I went to visit the school, the kids were on bean bags. They were, you know, just free to, to roam about and move. And, and, and it was very engaging, not knowing she's dyslexic. And so I kept telling them, I'm really concerned about her, her reading, you know, and we were in a very small class and this public school is a lot, you know, large class sizes, larger, I'm just concerned, I'm concerned. So the end, that was first grade and the end of first grade, they said, okay, well, we, um, what do you, how do you think her progress? What do you think about her, the progress she's made? And I said, okay, you know, she's made a little progress, but I'm still concerned because, you know, letting her know that you're going to call on her and, and uh, those things they really aren't teaching her how to read. And so they said, well, we, we want to evaluate. Let's do, what do you think about an evaluation? And they were really tiptoeing about uh, around asking me that. And I was like, no, yes, I want to do it. You know, I want to do it. Like, cause I'd rather find out what's going on. If something is going on, I was very open to, to the evaluation and, and I can tell just how they were tiptoeing around it. Like, we don't know if we want to say that, how is she going to respond? You know, and having worked in the district in the position that I worked in, I was very good at reading body language um, because I had been in a role where I had to have hard conversations and support principles, right? So I'm, I was always assessing because now I'm like, okay, this is my child. Let me put in all the skills that I have. And so we had her evaluated at the end of first grade and um, they came back and said she had a specific learning disability, SLD. Right. And they also wanted to do um, occupational therapy, uh, OT assessment. Right. And um, I didn't understand any of it. It was like mumbo jumbo to me. It was like, um, you know, peanut club. Wah, 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 wah. I was like, what? What? But how, how are we going to teach you how to read? Right. And I noticed like the more I kept saying, how are we going to teach her how to read? Right. Oh, we're going to give her more time. And, you know, um, She'll be able to, to get more time and, and all these accommodations, right? And even then, I didn't really clearly understand the difference between accommodations and remediation or intervention, right? I didn't really get all of that, but I kept asking how she's going to learn how to read. And so at the end of, the, um, at the end of that meeting, one of the psychologists slipped up and said, well, you know, when children have dyslexia, we normally do... And I said, oh, she has dyslexia? Because now I felt like that was something I understood and something I could research. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. I said, well, how do I get her evaluated? What do I do? Uh, um, um, and I was like, what, what, thinking to myself, what's going on here? Why are they stumbling over words? Like, what? So I left that meeting feeling like, oh, they're hiding something. They didn't tell me something. And I went to my car like so many parents do, and I cried. Because I was like, oh my gosh, she has dyslexia. They say she might have dyslexia, but but they're not telling me something. And um, I called my cousin crying and she's like, get it together. She's an attorney and she did some special education law in, uh, in college and she mentioned some resources. And so as I started researching, within a matter of three days, I was told I needed $22,000, right? That, that included an expensive summer tutoring program 
and then an independent educational evaluation where I could go and get um, someone, uh, you know, specialized to do a full comprehensive evaluation. I thought, oh my gosh, I don't have $22,000 in three days. And I called her pediatrician crying, I did a lot of crying. And her pediatrician connected me with a psychologist who walked me through some steps. She said, I need you to do this, go to this website. Um, you don't wanna over assess her. And if she has dyslexia, this is what you need to do. And she didn't speak to me as if she was afraid of the word dyslexia. You know, She was just like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. And I follow everything this woman said. And so I followed the steps that she told me and that led me to um, a grassroots uh, organization called Decoding Dyslexia, uh, Decoding Dyslexia Maryland. And I connected with parents of children with dyslexia and other language-based learning disabilities. I became a state leader. You know, um, I was going to Annapolis to fight for legislation. I just immersed myself. And the thing is, is that I wasn't afraid um, to say I didn't know, right? I wasn't afraid to show up at a meeting and there's nothing but white women and here's me and they're talking about legislation and policy and I don't understand a thing. I'm sitting there like, okay, I'm taking notes. Okay, okay, after this meeting, I'm gonna go to the corner and ask this one, what does that mean, right? And, and I wasn't afraid and I didn't feel a certain way when folks offered me help. Well, Winifred, I can meet with you to go over the IEP. I'm like, oh, you can meet with me one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, let's do that. And so I just immersed myself um, in that space. And then one thing led to another thing, to another thing. And, and so I started a chapter here in Baltimore City and um, I did some training so that I could better um, understand the process so I could navigate and help parents find the right solutions, right? Because there's a, now I'm finding there's a lot of help out here. There's a lot of noise. And if you don't know, you can be taken advantage of. So I wanted to make sure I understood so I could weed out the bad apples, if you will, right? And, and I wasn't afraid, again, I, I did not let fear stop me. And I would tell parents, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It's kind of like when you buy a car and nobody has your car, right? And then you get your car and everybody has your car. So it was like, like everywhere I turned, oh, I'm dyslexic. Oh, well, my child is struggling to read. And it was like a snowball effect. <laughs> I love that analogy about nobody has your car and then you oh, see it everywhere. <laughs> nobody has your car. And then you're at a light and you're like, wow, there's the car just like mine in front of me and in that lane to the left, right? <laughs> so. so true. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for um, for sharing that because I, I know it will be a very helpful to a lot of the uh, listeners, uh, people who are uh, streaming the podcast because, um, you know, I, I like what you said that you weren't afraid to ask questions and, you know, to say that you didn't know something and you just, um, you know, you were interested in finding out solutions. And I think, as you said, that's what you know, that's what parents do. They, they, and I will, yeah. Arthur, let me just add that I say that because it was a very white space, right? And, and this is a very sensitive topic, right? Your child is struggling to read and you don't know why. And um, you go into a space and it's all white. You know, I had the, the experience of going to school at uh, PWI, predominantly white institutions, right? I was an athlete, I went to a PWI. I had professors telling me, oh, well, you won't get any special treatment 
uh, you jocks won't get any special treatment and look at me dead in my face. I'm not the only athlete in this class. You know, I had the experience of, of, of teammates saying, well, I don't know if you people like to bowl. You know what I mean? Like I had that, those experiences when I got out of college, uh, undergrad, uh, two of my first jobs out, out of college, I was the only black person in that role. Right. Right. Um, I remember Katrina happened and um, I just felt so heartbroken. And I'm like, I have a two bedroom. I could give up one of my, my guest bedrooms, right. For somebody to have a place to stay. And I remember talking to some young white, some white people, uh, white colleagues rather. And I was a little older cause I was a non-traditional student but I looked younger. So they were probably 23, 24 and I was about 27, 28, you know and um, paid my way through college working. You know, it took me 10 years to earn my undergrad. Um, I lost my mother during that time. And they were just talking so reckless. Oh, well, they should um, they should have had another bank. You know, why did they have their money all in one bank? And I'm coming from North Carolina, although I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, I just relocated from North Carolina where I remember there being only one bank. And because those folks knew me when my mother got sick, they were able to help me, right? So I'm taking this personal, like, what do you mean? And I'm looking at all these black folks dying and I'm like, if I have an extra bedroom, you know, I want to help. And, and I was very vocal. And I remember we went to a meeting um, and, and they said, oh, well, don't say anything about Katrina or, or poor black people because Winifred's going to have an attitude, right? So they were saying that about me. And I let that muffle my voice, right? When you're the only black person at a job, you can't speak for all black people, right? And, and, and I let that muffle my voice then i went on to the next job where i was the only black person and I, I, my voice was muffled right and so when i got in this space i didn't feel like i don't belong here or i can't ask questions because i've been navigating this you know all through undergrad and then when i started working and then i went to graduate school pwi so i had that um, advantage or, or that privilege if you will of being in, in an all white space and figuring out how to navigate. So I was just doing the same thing I'd always done, but now I got to navigate for my daughter. And, and parents would be in this space and be like, no, nah, I feel uncomfortable, right? Because now you want me to talk about something that we don't talk about culturally. You know, we don't talk about learning disabilities culturally. Um, and, and now I'm in this space with these white women and I don't feel like I have anything in common with or that I don't even feel comfortable saying, well, I don't know what that word means, right? Because as black folks, when you're in these white spaces all the time, you have to be the cream of the crop. You've got to dot every I and cross every T, right? And, and, and so now you bring in this into something that's a sensitive topic and it's about somebody's child, right? And, and so I, I really reflected on my own experience um, after the, the unrest with George Floyd and having so many folks say Black Lives Matter or, or not saying Black Lives Matter. And, and I had my own experience that showed me that, you know, everybody that's in my space is not really for us. And, and I had to really sit with that. And that really gave me um, the push to say, you know what, we are going to create the Black and Dyslexic podcast and call it that, you know, because I'm going to use the voice and the platform that I have so that I can reach more Black and Brown people. And, and earlier I talked about um, having, having the, the courage to do it. And that's what really pushed me at that time because it all started with a hashtag. I started with a hashtag on Instagram, black and dyslexic, and I was featuring celebrities and athletes. And then I thought, well, everybody can't relate to a celebrity or athlete. And then I started doing the everyday dyslexics, right? And, and so then um, 
I had another bad experience with that name. Like folks were like, why I have to be black? Oh, it's people like you, you know, you're just putting the black on it. Every, you know, it affects everybody. And one of my friends said to me, a friend and mentor, and she's like, you know what? You keep that going. You know, it's necessary. It's needed. You get funding. You make it a program. And, and that's how um, the Black and Dyslexic podcast came to fruition because I went out and got funding for it as a dyslexia awareness campaign. And, and, and I wrote that particular grant up talking about when undiagnosed learning disabilities trigger mental health issues, depression, low self-esteem, right? And then we know that um, a study out of Texas showed that 80% of inmates were illiterate and 40% were dyslexic. Right. So so we, we wrote that up to raise awareness in the black and brown community. Um, and, and that's what really fueled that podcast and, and brought it to fruition. Wow. It's I love stories that, you know, that start with, you know, maybe a not so happy thing, but it turns into something, uh, something great and something that is so beneficial and um, again, sharing such necessary and important information uh, to, you know, to everybody. So thank you for, um, for this conversation. And before I let you go, can you just share some um, resources with everyone, websites or books or anything you can uh, think of that are, um, you know, that would be helpful to anyone who's listening? Sure, I'm gonna just plug our um, plug myself and my organization. So you can follow us on social media, um, our website, Instagram, Facebook at So All Can Read. Our website is SoAllCanRead.org. We're on Instagram, um, the Black and Dyslexic Podcast. Um, also, decoding dyslexia. We're we have chapters in all states. And it was a great, great um, network and support and, and parents who knew how to navigate the system. You know, we've got dyslexia, uh, decoding dyslexia, Maryland. Um, there's lit moms in North Carolina. North Carolina is very near and dear to my heart because I moved here from North Carolina. So I stay, I keep a pulse on what's going on in North Carolina. Um, there's also a favorite website of mine is understood.org understood.org it is practical digestible information and i even said to you before we started this i don't do a lot of the big teacher talk lingo because i would not have understood that i did not understand that when i started this journey and understood.org has very very practical digestible information another great resource is uh rights law and like someone told me Go to the website, stay on there five minutes, use a timer, and then get off. And while you're on, sign up for the newsletter, let them send you the newsletter, and then immerse yourself in special education law because it is overwhelming. <laughs> okay, you got to take little tidbits of it. But definitely follow me on social media at soallcanread.org, and you can reach out to me, um, and I will respond. Yeah. So thank you again for, uh, you know, taking your evening to do this. I appreciate you. For oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's my pleasure. Yes. So you have a good night and I will be in touch soon. All right. Thank you, author. Oh, you're welcome. Bye-bye. We thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education and JCIE. 
Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.